You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 206 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Andy. Hello, hello, hello. And we have a super special guest this week as well. We have Mr. Chris Peach. Hello, Chris. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Good. Peachy, you could say. Peachy. Peachy, excellent. Very formal, Chris, wasn't it? It was it. Unfortunately, Jay is uh, sadly stuck in work. Um, So, you know, hopefully he escapes um, pretty soon. But he is going to miss tonight's show. Unfortunately, but I'm sure he'll be back next week to tell us what he's been up to in the hobby. Um, we've, of course, got an excellent episode ahead because we do have Peachy, who will be chatting to you a little bit later on. Um, we have also got a cool top three inspired by the recent announcements from Lost Warhammer Preview. We're going to be talking about our top three Warhammer 40k supplements. So um, we've had a good amount of community feedback on this as well which we'll read out towards the end of the show and we'll be finding out which ones we enjoyed the most uh, a little bit later as well and of course we've got all the usual stuff such as the news and um, but before we get stuck into all of that content as we always do on the show we talk about what we've been doing in the hobby since the last podcast and uh, we're going to pick on you first of all this time andy uh, what have you been up to in the hobby <laughs> So I was I was trying to predict who you're gonna pick on first, and I, I didn't think you were gonna pick on me. Um, so uh-huh. um, in, in terms of hobbying, I've actually not done that much this week. I've had a bit of a a chilled week in terms of hobbying. Um, I have, however, been playing some games recently. I played a game of War Crime on Saturday night. Um, played uh, some. Mortal Maggotkin of Nurgle against um, a friend of mine's Blades of Corn, and he was using um, mortal stuff from that. And we played a scenario, one of the um, cards that you get in the Heart of Gur box set um, mm. called, I think it was Cut Off the Head, and it was basically kill your enemy leader. Um, and his leader very cowardly hid away from me, and my leader, unfortunately for him, was uh, too resilient and too blessed with Nurgle to to die. So it it went the full four turns and um, yeah, it ended up a draw. So um, that was good. Um, and then yesterday, as a recording on Sunday, um, I played against fellow Purple Spawn Unicorn. God, that's a mouthful. Um, organizer Craig Chester's, um, and he was using. Um, his Thunder Lizard Seraphon army, okay. um, and I used my Sons of Bearmat army and proxied in a uh, Beast Smasher Mega Gargant with a great and clean one because it's uh, okay. dead, fi- dead, <laughs> dead filthy, you know. Um, and yeah, got a got a game in with the new Sons of Bearmat, um, which was really good fun. Um, yeah, Thunder Lizards shooting, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> the, the, the gargants fell down quite a lot but i did get to yell timber a lot so you know <laughs> who, who was, it? yeah who's the real winner yeah craig yeah um but yeah so i i lost that game quite convincingly but that was good fun gave me some ideas of uh lists that i want to go forwards uh 
in the future with the Giants. So yeah, that was good fun. But yeah, that's that's me this week, unfortunately. Nice, relatively quiet week for me. Excellent. Um, quite the opposite for me. Um, I've been quite busy. Um, the secret project that I couldn't talk about last week, but I can talk about this week, uh, and I don't know how you pronounce them properly. Um, but it, it's the car skin. Um, so I've been painting them from the Shadow Vaults box, which was strangely only only sort of previewed last week and it's already on pre-order um so they were absolutely amazing uh, to paint really enjoyed painting them can't wait to to paint some more um cadians um, you can check those out as well as matt's review over on the website uh, also you know I love doing the transfers on these as well i'm going to be putting transfers on everything going forwards um such a game changer so yeah, but um, a bit of background for for Peachy. It's the first time that Dave's ever put transfers on anything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a step into a large world. Yeah. It's not yeah. easy, to be honest. They are difficult, but yeah, good, good to hear. Yeah, no, it was it was it was a real hobby hobby achievement. I just don't know if it was one of my resolutions for the year, but we'll find <laughs> out at the end of the year. Um, other than that, uh, it's all on Project Skaven. Uh, what two weeks to go uh, until weeks, the yep. Path to Glory uh, event. Um, so I have done another 20 clan rats. I have finished off my storm fiends as part of the bases. I've done a weapons team, uh, and I very nearly finished my building, my vermin lord. So this week I have got 20 clan rats to do, a warp lightning cannon, and two members of the underworld warband, leaving me a vermin lord and potentially a helper abomination for the final week. Um, I've also been starting to create my battle pack for the event so this will contain where you know all my path to glory stuff is going to be um i'm going to try and make it as scathing as possible uh if that's even a term um so that should be a lot of fun um i've shared obviously a little bit of a sneak peek with you guys before the, the podcast um but it's very much in early stages just going to try and fit that in the, the most important thing is getting these things painted so it's going to be a pretty busy couple of weeks uh, for me, I think. Uh, Matt, what have you been up to? So likewise, it's been a, been a bit of a busy week. Like you say, Games Watch very kindly sent us a copy of Kill Team Shadow Vaults to uh, unbox and review and paint it for the site. So I've been furiously working on that. I was doing the Cryptech Hyrotech Circle, which are really, really cool models. So it's um, it's basically the, the old immortal sprue and then an upgrade frame. Which is really cool. Some unusual things like two of the characters, it just uses like the legs from the old kit and then the rest of it's new. So, yeah, very creative use of an upgrade sprue. And they were great fun to paint in my um, Sarazen Dynasty uh, scheme that I did for Indometer. So that is on the site as well if you do want the scheme for that. Uh, And I also had a chance to paint up some of the little accessories, a little um, turret and a little robot and a bomb and stuff. So painted them up. They were really fun. Did those in a night. And today I just finished off Eurasi the Cursed, the uh, the character for my Path to Glory that Dave was on about. And I've done basically a kind of a lower level one for small points games and then a kind of uh, inspired form for bigger point games. So, yeah. yeah, really happy with them. And now I just need to paint like a Nighthorn army in a week. That'll be fine. <laughs> piece of cake <laughs> but for yeah. anyone else it might be a struggle but knowing you as well as we do matt <laughs> you, you, like it's a piece of cake whatever <laughs> could do three thousand points I, I am also moving house this week too so that might make things a little bit more difficult but i will certainly try and get these done 
Yeah, your characters look amazing. Um, make sure you check out our social media. I know you, you are doing a post for the website, Matt, but you can currently see them over on our uh, Twitter feed and our Facebook feed as well. Uh, that just leaves one person to quiz. Uh, Peachy, um, mm. I know you've not been on this show before, but what, what have you been doing in the hobby recently? Well, uh, well, obviously, other than like making YouTube videos, uh, not under the guise of Warmer TV anymore. Sad to say, I know. Um, I've been doing lots of random hobby, but at the moment, someone was chatting to me on uh, Twitter. And with the new stuff coming out for like Kadia, obviously you've got the Shadow Bolt stuff, which looks mega. I'm jealous because I've not got a set yet, so I've pre-ordered it. So hopefully I'll get that next week and start painting it. Um, I have been asked and tasked for a bit of fun is to get all the old Empire States and Ventrillion them up. Oh, so gonna, oh I know, yeah. So I'm trying <laughs> to ventrilify uh, 14 states stroke cities of the empire and make them look like ventrillions with a little bit of so so far i've done reichland and i've got to come up with some fancy names from as well i've got like reichland middenheim altdorf nordland um so i was like when it's like land i might call it like landveer which is like you know the german for like militia and stuff like that so Mm. the the nordlandveer of ventrillia um i know it's it's a task and a half there's 14 i was like yeah i'll get it done by november what i might do because uh, November time, usually, well, I didn't do it last year, but the year before I did was, we called it November, Noblevember. So a few Ventrillian uh, adjacent folks would get on the bandwagon of painting like Imperial Guard. To be fair, if you've got Imperial Guard, just like painting. It's a bit like March on McCrag, just more plumes. <laughs> <laughs> That's really it. So yeah, More feathers. More feathers, yeah. And spangly outfits. And I've been eyeing up. Not only the new Cadians, and they're amazing, but also the little spoiler, I guess, we've got of the Attilian Rough Riders. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I was looking at them. I reckon you could probably swap their heads and get some cool looking Deathcore Krieg. Um, oh, I think I, I said this to the guy because I've got a Deathcore army myself, and they're already wearing like long trench coats. Just swap exactly. out the gas mask, and then exactly. you're sorted, aren't you? it's easy peasy it's a head swap i mean yeah they've got furry gloves but it's cold when you're riding a horse look at all that boarding sorry i'm getting excited <laughs> get excited i'm sorry so good so yeah oh, that's been me yeah yeah i'm so i mean matt will talk about this in the news but i'm so excited for these rough riders i didn't think i would be but oh man yeah they are so so cool um but that's all to come um so that brings uh, our introduction to this week's show to a close we have got plenty to get through so we'll be right back so what do we have in this week's news map so we've got a, a relatively quiet week this week which is a uh unusual really with the with the super busy weeks we've had recently but uh, if you're a warhammer underworlds fan there's some really cool stuff coming out so we've got warhammer underworlds narwood which is the um i guess the latest edition of, of narwood there's like two a year now and uh yeah this one looks really cool we've got the narl spirit pack who are like chaos warriors that are kind of covered in weird like antlers and a bit more feral and wild fighting the sons of velmorn which are at graveguard uh you know both these warbands look amazing and i can't wait to pick them up uh that is 65 pounds which i think was the same price as the previous uh season of underworlds and apparently there's there's some pretty big uh rules changes in this as well which is interesting so um i think like the core mechanics they've kind of just redone and brought them up to date because let's face it, Warhammer Underworlds came out a long time ago. So previously, 
Um, if you moved, you couldn't move again. Where now you can make multiple move actions in a phase, which is cool. Mm. And equally, you, you ordinarily, if you charge, you can't do anything else. If all of your warband has got charge tokens, you can activate them again. So that's oh. really cool. So you can charge. So if you've got a small numbered warband, you can charge them all in and then use the rest of your activations to just punch things in the face. So that's a lot cool. So yeah, looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll know a bit more about that next week. But uh, that seems pretty exciting. Alongside this, we've got the Rivals of Nether Maze coming out. This contains the cards and miniatures from the nether maze box set but not the like tiles and rule book and stuff this is 47 pound 50 so it's a little bit cheaper than buying that box and ideal if maybe you missed out on that edition but you want the warbands and the warbands are pretty nice you, you're using the skaven in your uh, path to glory army aren't you dave absolutely yeah the, it's an amazing little group and it, it also um is quite good nature sigma as well which is, there's not many of those warbands that <laughs> i find are worth taking in uh, actual match play games, but these are definitely one of them. Yeah, so that's that's quite cool. I've already got these miniatures. If I didn't, I'd be snapping this up. Um, they've also got the warbands from Diachasm, all available to order uh, without their cards. So if you want, for example, the Crimson Court for your uh, Soulbite Gravelords army, which you absolutely do because they're gorgeous models, and even if you don't collect Soulbite Gravelords, buy the Crimson Court because they're possibly some of the best Age of Sigma models they've ever done. Uh, you can now buy these separately without the cards. So that's really cool because I know a lot of people really enjoy these models. It also I've, means they can get I've a little been, crab. Yeah. As well now. I've, been, I've had my own the Savage Oryx for ages. Um, so this will probably be when I snap those up. Nice. So yeah, I don't know how much those. I, I presume they cost the same price as the, the other ones. So check the GW web store. They'll probably be the same price as the other individual ones that you can get. And then finally, in pre-orders, we've got some premium card sleeves for Warhammer Underworlds. And um, I will say these are probably worth picking up if you maybe used to play Underworlds and you're coming back into the game because in the last season they actually changed the design of the back of the cards. So obviously with some sleeves, it doesn't matter what's on the back of the cards because they'll all, you know, be usable together. And also they keep your cards from getting damaged as well. They're £10, which I think is a little bit pricey for a pack of 45 um, card sleeves, but they are nice and Warhammer Underworlds looking. So, yeah, in the news, it's it's fairly quiet, but two massive pieces of news that we've had this week. First of all, we had our first update for a long time on Warhammer The Old World. So, yeah, chaps, we knew just before COVID, there was an announcement that, yes, we're, we're, we're bringing out Warhammer the Old World. Yes, it's essentially going to be what Horus Heresy is to original Warhammer. And basically, from the last update, I think they said it would be based on 8th edition Warhammer Fantasy, but with the best elements of all previous editions and all previous Warhammer Fantasy armies would be compatible with it. But of course, there'll be awesome new models and stuff and basically put that out this post saying that look they've been working on the miniatures they've been working on the rule book itself and here's a load of cool artwork that's going to be in the rule book and this is exciting because even though they said yep all, all existing armies will be you know usable i think the internet was a little bit cautious and didn't want to get their hopes up but no we've got pictures of bretonians we've got pictures of tomb kings We've got orcs riding piggies, which has not been a thing for a long time. This is really exciting. 
I um I kind of hope, and there's been rumours to the to kind of in favour of that, that perhaps Games Workshop will, at least in the interim, because I suspect this is going to be quite a a Forge World heavy line. I think it's safe to say. In the interim, until then, they might re-release some of those old Warhammer Fantasy kits, such as the Bretonians and the Tomb Kings. Um, Andy, I know you were quite excited about this article. Yeah, I mean, I I got into Warhammer Fantasy. I was kind of like uh, my first sort of jump into actually playing games and stuff like that. And and the only army I ever played for the entirety of Eighth Edition and a little bit of the end of Seventh Edition was dwarfs for warhammer fantasy but there was i don't think there was an army that i didn't want to do in warhammer fantasy and yeah the the opportunity to do that now because you know i'm not i'm not a kid anymore well you know maybe mentally but you know i'm not i'm not a kid anymore i've got i've got some money that i can put behind a project and, and jump into sort of stuff but yeah i mean i always love tomb kings um so yeah i'd, I'd happily jump on them if they when they come out yeah same here i mean if they bring back yes some of those kits are a little bit dated but i guess the thing to remember in mind is they will absolutely be putting out resin rangers for all these won't they and then like with the horus heresy i suspect we'll probably see a a, a kind of boxed game that's probably going to have two factions in it with new plastics and they'll probably get expanded upon getting all what would they have 16 races or something they're not going to have new plastics overnight, are they? So I think it's going to be in the situation where you're either using your existing force or Games Workshop maybe do some made towards on some of those old models. And then gradually over time, they bring out new resin kits, new plastic kits, and, you know, gradually we'll get those big releases. But what this does mean is that if you've got, if you want to play maybe Dark Elves, I think are a good example, majority of the Dark Elf range is still available in Age of Sigmar. I'm going to take a gamble, chaps. I've got two of the, I forget what it was called. It was um, during the Broken Realms. There was a box that contained a load of dark, uh, Drac- uh, dark elves and the... It was like uh, a, a ba- battle host, wasn't it? Uh... Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it kind of contained a, a sorceress and a black dragon and quite a few sprues of all the different kind of weapon options for your, your basic um, uh, dark elves. And I've got two of them. And I think that, mixed with the other box that i forget the name of that's got some um it's got a chariot in it i think it's got a charybdis in it and some uh, other bits and bobs and maybe a box of um you know executioners or something i could be well on the way to having a warhammer fantasy compatible army even if i don't stick them on bases yet and just kind of wait to find out kind of what the base situation is i suspect if they've said that, you know, 8th edition armies be compatible, stick them on 25 mil bases and you're probably sound. But, um, yeah, I I might dabble in that. I don't know if any of you guys have got plans to maybe get some old world ready maybe for whenever this drops, which is presumably it's not going to be this year. I think it's going to be 2023 that we'll see some stuff maybe towards the end of 2023 because that would be the 40th birthday of Warhammer or more realistically, maybe the following summer in the traditional kind of like box game release slot. So we're probably, I'd say we're probably a little while off yet, but that gives you enough chance to maybe start painting up some miniatures for them. Like your Skaven, Dave, you could potentially uh, paint up some Skaven on square bases. Or what did you used to play in there, Warhammer Fantasy, Dave? Yeah, I don't think we ever played Fantasy together, did we? Um, I, I mean, I'm a lot better at this than I used to be, but I, I dabbled in quite a few. Um, 
Bretonians, I had some Tomb Kings, I had some High Elves. In fact, that might have been it. I might have had a few dwarfs at, at one time. Um, if I was going to go into the old world, I would probably be torn between... I think it would probably be Bretonians, but then I also might be tempted by the Empire or Seraphon, or Lizardmen as it was, um, but probably more so Bretonians. Yeah, I've I've always wanted to do a Bretonian armor with each knight having like its own individual heraldry on it. I think that'd be a really nice painting project. Yeah, see, I I loved the End Times books when they came out. Absolutely loved them, and I'd love to go back through and do even if it's like a thousand point force of the different forces from like the End Times books and and sort of try and recreate the battles from the End Times books in. On, you know, on a tabletop format and, and go back through that. But I think they said in a previous article that it's supposed to be set like 100 years um, before the events of the end times, aren't they? So a lot of the characters that are in the end times probably aren't going to be in the game. Yeah, it gives them the opportunity to invent some new characters and put some new models kind of distinct from Age of Sigmar because let's face it, a lot of those um, end times kits ended up as Sigmar kits really, didn't they? yeah so so yeah this is exciting it's you know it's there's been a lot of of moaning online that oh games which promised us the old one it's still not come in that first reveal they said look this is going to be years and years and years away in the past you'd never get that nod of the head you'd just be like hey next week the old world's out so yeah. it's yeah. it's coming i don't think it's, it was definitely not this year and i don't think it's next year but maybe as we get a little further into the future um yeah start painting some bretonians guys um now the other bit of news that we had if you're a fan of mounted cavalry um is is equally exciting the rough riders are coming back to the astra militarum um i mean i i play death core of krieg and i'm a big fan of uh dudes on horses running at people with lances with grenades on the end that's kind of my bag um, to get a plastic kit, which is obviously it's in the in the Rough Riders aesthetic, but um, they they look beautiful. Dave, you've you've been painting a lot of Cadians recently. Do you think you'll have room for some uh, Rough Riders in your army? You know, if you'd have asked me that question and I hadn't seen any models, Matt, I might have been tempted to go. No, I I don't really get it. I, I, it, I don't really get horses running alongside tanks. It's uh, I know it's, it was a thing yeah, back in World War One, um, but I didn't quite get it. But now I've seen the models, Matt. Absolutely, one million percent. These things look awesome. They also look quite chunky. Those horses. They do. These yeah. Are, these are pumped horses. Um, <laughs> I love all like the 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 regalia they got on them, like all the 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 extra weapons and stuff. Um, yeah, they are serious nice kits, and I like the I love the lances, you know, the two different types. Um, very very cool. So, absolutely, it's funny because um, we were chatting uh probably a, a week or so ago, uh, Matt, uh, in my kitchen, or it might have actually been Jay, might have been talking to the wrong person, um. But I remember distinctively saying, oh, it's cool that you can mix and match regiments. However, I'm probably going to go full Cadian. Now I'm like, well, now clearly I won't have to get these guys. So I won't be going full Cadian. But never mind. Never, never go full Cadian, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> and it was me. It was me. We were, we were chatting about, uh, like I said a similar thing about the Death Corps of Krieg. It's a Death Corps army, isn't it? But 
I, I think there might be some room for some rough riders to march alongside my death riders, all the horses, all the time. Yeah. See, for me, I'm going to be controversial here. I didn't like them. If, <gasps> if I'm being, I know, yeah. Right. Wash your mouth out, Andy. I mean, the, the new Cadian stuff looks amazing. It looks so 40k. And when I look at these guys, and I, I, I think if they'd done like a Acadian version of Rough Riders, then I would have looked at that and gone, right, that's amazing. But because they're kind of like this Mongolian theme and nothing else in the army has that theme, I'm kind of looking at them and thinking, they're just going to look out of place. Like, don't get me wrong, the miniatures are nice. But if I was doing an Imperial Guard army, I don't think I'd want any. So I know what you could do, Andy. I know what you could do. I've had I've had the same thoughts, and bizarrely, I think they go more with the Death Corps because of the trench coat and stuff. But what you could do is get some Atalan jackals from the Gene Sealer Cults. Use mm. many of the the various spare parts that are on the uh, the various guard kits, and have um, Cadians riding bikes with lancers. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I think that would look good. I mean. Uh, uh, the more I think about it, the more I think of the Indiana Jones. I think it was, was it Raiders? No, it wasn't. It was the Last Crusade, where they have the kind of old style World War Two tanks with. There's a, there's a battle isn't there, towards the end, and there's um, Indiana Jones on a horse. I, I think actually, it, I think it'll look pretty cool um, having some horses running alongside uh, a more sort of World War Two looking 40k force. So. Um, yeah, I might even have to get myself some Death Corps users, veterans. It's opening all kinds of doors, I don't know. It has, I, I, you know what, I think it's, that's cool. I think that's cool. There's no reason why you wouldn't have, like, loaned units from different regiments. These these, these armies are travelling around the galaxy and picking up kind of waifs and strays as they're going, aren't they? You see yeah. it in all the kind of Black Library books, so... Yeah, I'm open. I think a guard army would look good. And you could even, you could still tie together the uniform colour, couldn't you? You could, you could, um, but equally, I think as long as you sort of base on the same, they can still look like their original regiments. Yeah, and, and hopefully there's, you know, there's some way of doing like an entirely. It mentions that the core, so obviously with various detachments, if there's a mounted HQ option, you could potentially do a majority mounted uh, astromilitary army and then backed up with some tanks, and you don't need to necessarily have any Cadians on show then. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, so so a, a light one for the news this week, but some really cool reveals. Yeah, excellent stuff. Can't wait to get my hands on those Rough Riders. Um, now, we've got a big one next. Uh, we're going to take a slight pause and we're going to come back with an interview with none other than Peachy, so keep listening. So we have, of course, super special guest Chris Peach on the show with us. Chris, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I've been excited for this, if I'm honest. It's, it's a good a good escape away from the child and the wife. Oh, we, we've been excited too. It's, it's, it's nice to have a painting legend on the show. So, yeah, we just wanted to uh, have a bit of a chat with you and talk about all things uh, painting and hobby. So first of all, how did you get into the uh, hobby, Peachy? Oh, it's a long time ago. I mean, so uh, I probably alluded to this on uh, chat with Wade back back in the day. Um, and it kind of started because uh, my dad used to do like World War Two, Napoleonics and stuff like that. He used to have all the old lead figures. And just looking at those, I was like, they look cool. And then he gave me some paints and I started painting them 
like the rider orange, the horse green. And then it was people <laughs> at the mark who kind of was into D&D at the time, very much your typical D&D dressed and he, he, he had the look of someone that was into D&D. He had uh, the look. He had the look. He had the look at, at that era. Um, very much a rocker. Um, and yeah, he went to a workshop and then started bringing things back and they looked really interesting and cool, like elves and dwarves and stuff. And then it wasn't, I think, until we got Hero Quest that we really got emboldened into like doing fantasy-based stuff. Then we got uh, Space Crusade, then Necromunda, and then it just kind of built up from there. So when like big core games came out, I think the biggest one for me was when we got the Bretonians and Lizardman box set. And that was like my own purchase with my dad. And then I got like the Magic box set and then the Siege. And we just, yeah, we kind of snowballed from there. So um, Dwarfs were my first collection. Dwarfs. Even though I got the plastic, I painted the uh, Lizardmen, Seraphon of Modern World. Um, I wasn't super excited by them. My dad was like, what, what do you like? I was like, they look cool. So we got me like a box of hammers, I think. And then uh, we just kind of, well, a blister of hammers. And then, yeah, it just took on from there. Slayers were my unit of choice because big orange beards, um, uh, well, flesh. I used to like painting flesh. Well. <laughs> Easy. Big orange beards and flesh. Yeah. Who doesn't like big orange beards and flesh, eh? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. So how, how did you wind up working for Games Workshop then after being kind of into the hobby? So youngster. I did apply for a job when I was at college. It was like 96. It was before. No, it was after I'd met Liz, my wife. Uh, it was 97. And um, a job was coming up at Games Workshop Derby. So there was like a recruitment day. So I attended that and it panned out. They weren't actually looking for staff in the store. They were looking for people to work in mail order. And I was like to and fro in. And I thought, well, if I save up, I can get like a scooter and I could go down to Nottingham. And in the end, they called and said, you know, I've got the job, which was fine. Did all my college and university. And it wasn't until probably like my last year of uni. I was working in a hotel with my mum and it was, it was all right. It was fun. But I, I walked down Saturday and uh, I'd just gone in because you, you do. If you're walking down Saturday in Derby and games workshops, so you, you can't not go, just ignore it. You go in. I think it's um, the law. It is. I think it is in Derby for sure. I think you get hung. <laughs> uh, don't do it. it's definitely the rules um and there's a guy there called matt baxter who i think still works for the business He's, he was over in the states for a time and chris pritchard who definitely still works for the business they they were like the chris was the manager matt was one of the full-timers and his partner was in my wife's um course at uni so they knew each other that yeah i like warhammer there's this guy likes one so we started talking and then uh chris pritchard just came and was like do you fancy it applying for a job I was like yeah sure I guess I'd just matured a bit more and was a bit more chatty and stuff like that so um yeah I got I got the job and um yeah had to learn how to run intro games uh, which was fun because I played games for myself and like with my brothers but didn't really like do it professionally to teach people how to play and that's when we kind of went into the roles of like just make it fun don't worry mm. about getting the rules right there's always been that guy who stands at the end of the table and tells you where you're going wrong just ignore him make it fun uh so yeah we used to do a lot of not made up rules but make it engaging for like certain audiences where and obviously when you got the guy that was like or or last that was like really sort of like i really want to know the rules properly you're like okay we'll go through the core basics and then we'll show you some of the extra stuff um so that that used to be when you had, had a bit more flair and got to explain a bit more to them yeah but I'm still learning myself anyway, so <laughs> I was like, oh my, there's loads of rule systems, loads of codexes. But what I didn't realise, and this is the key, at the time, it was not about knowing all the rules of everything. It was knowing the things that you knew. So I was like really into Chaos Marines and Imperial Guard at that time. 
and empire and dwarfs. So that was my skill set. So whenever any questions came up that was like related around those, I'd be the man. Whereas like other staff members or managers would know different factions and stuff. So you, you had like, I guess, your strengths and weaknesses. And as long as you can fudge your way through, sell a core box, that's all that mattered. Yeah, exactly. That's that's cool. So so I guess while you were working in the stores, then, so when you were... Uh... First came across a young Duncan Rhodes, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was a interesting. There was one night. It was I think it was either a Tuesday or a Thursday. We used to do like late night gamings on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It would have been a Tuesday because it was for the older sort of over 16s. And this sort of like fresh faced 12 year old looking lad panned out. He was 18, not 12. I mean, he's still um, something loud. Uh, well, he's, he's not aged, does he? He's not aged. I reckon he's got a painting somewhere in his house that's just like of a older version. <laughs> um, and he was just like, oh, you know, I used to do this back in the day. And I was like really into Necrons. And we started talking and he was like, oh, I've got these guys called Word Bearers. I really like them for this. I was like, oh, I've got some Cadens. I'd made up my own faction of Cadens at the time, like giving different fatigue colours and different armour colour and called them a really rubbish name, which I can't remember now. But that's where Colonel Peach <laughs> came from. The leader was Colonel Peach. Um, I said, let's play a game. Came, played. It was really cool. I had a lot of fun. We both like clicked. And then I was like, well, there's a recruitment day going up on Friday. I mean, if you're interested in getting a job, it might be worth um, jumping down on it. And he did. He got the job. And then we worked part time together. Then I became full time and then um, eventually became his manager, which was weird for a time. But <laughs> yeah, that, that it's one of those weird things. We have to like be sort of like, right, it's not really the end of the world, but I've got to nudge him to get more intros because that's how we get more mm. core games so and stuff like yeah. that come on Duncan you need to do a couple more intros it's like, oh I'm really trying and stuff like that but you know I was a bit more chill well I'd say I was a bit more chilled out I think I've been pretty chilled out most of my life but it was I worked with really nice guys during that time and we we're all having fun we we're all and I, I think they were quite apart from like the odd time when you get like groups of chavs coming and causing trouble or angry customers or stock takes i remember those days being pretty cool i'm really enjoying it um and i think yeah certainly the team was part of that so duncan nigel who works in it now at head office neil who works in forge world um so there's a whole you know, crew that we, we had back in those days and that's where i met the fresh face duncan rose who has his own painting channel Man. yeah and his own paint range, his own paint range, the swine. And then we've just we've, we've just had the uh, our review copies arrive today. Where's where, where, where's the peachy paint range, or at least a peachy, you know, tea collection or something? We do cover brews as well. So, yeah, know. I reckon I would do different tones of tea stained to put. Yeah, on exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's where my bag will be. <laughs> bag, tea bag, nice. There you go. Think about that one. It writes itself. <laughs> Um, so here's what here's where you, you find it if my my little fact sheet beforehand right or wrong. So I, after that, you then moved to the the studio in the army painting team. Is that right? Yes. So um, I had a bit of a what I'd call a sideways step because other than becoming a regional manager or a, a cell manager, they called it at the time, which was just like a manager of like a, eight stores, and the regional was in charge of like you cut the country into quarters at that time. So it was like northeast, northwest, southeast, southwest. So unless one of those people died, <laughs> got fired, there was no real massive progression. Um, and I was like, well, I really like painting. I really like you know that side of the hobby. And I'm fairly fast. I like to think I'm OK because no one's ever complained about their level of cabinets. I mean, our stores used to do extra stuff for games days and things. And so I moved over to Warhammer World and it was about October time I moved over. And it was like a lot of the managers in the region at the time were like, that's a weird, risky uh, career move. I was like, well, I've got a plan. Um, 
And because you're more likely to be seen at head office, because obviously you, you're, you're more noticeable, you're more yeah. in the, the eye of like people, and you, you get obviously more intel by being there. You know, you're over here conversations, and uh, it panned out that that actually was quite true. Um, I got to befriend a couple of guys in what was the old exhibition centre, a guy called Ray and uh, Mick, and they were like, "Oh, there's a job going, did you know, in the studio for an army painter?" I was like, "Is they?" Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, "I didn't even know." I mean, I didn't even have an email at that time, so I didn't. Checks are. I had a word with the guy who's running the, uh, the the team at the time. I was like, oh, I've heard there's a job going. Am I able to apply? Is it still open? Like, oh yeah, please do. So I applied. That was Pete Foley. Um, and yeah, um, a small sort of re- recruitment process. And there was me, Nick Baton, and another guy who, for my sins, can't remember his name. Um, and we're on the shortlist. We came down for an interview, and me and Nick got a job. Um, Nick started doing some stuff for Web initially, and then moved over to the army painting team. And then there was myself, who was just banging out uh, armies. So my very first day was there was a unit of the old Chaos Warriors, uh, but there were the Nurgle ones had like green armor with like brown okay. panels on it. And uh, Pete Fairley says, "You've got about a week. All I want you to do is paint another unit of that, but try and match the browns and the greens." And I was like, "Cool." So I just built up a load of Chaos Warriors and tried to match them because that was when the Warriors of Chaos could come out when you got plastic knights i think it was plastic marauder horsemen as well yeah um so yeah i did that then the next project came along then the next project came along and i just was like i'll just paint until i'm told to until i've I finished the unit then say where's my next job um and it was a surprise then the capacity and the prolificness of it obviously there was a lot of tweaking as well because i had like the heavy metal guys there so they'd be like oh you know if you did this with your highlights you did that with your highlights so that there was like projects where i'd like increase capacity and like have more models painted and other projects where i'd refine the skill a bit the next mm. one would be like trying to balance it so it was this constant juggling of like improve the speed improve the skill improve the speed improve the skill can't possibly improve the skill on this amount because i've got you know like the urukai got 140 odd of them to paint that's just yeah. like a load of models you've got a day here's a trade see you later all right i'll try my <laughs> best um but yeah that was that was a really eye-opening time i <laughs> i thought i was all right at painting um from an army point of view and it wasn't until i think probably eight years into being an army painter or like eight yeah so it was 2008 probably 2016 i found some of my old um models because we we're doing a tidy out because i was managing the team at the time i was doing a tidy out in the um there's a little cubby hole in in the exhibition center where we used to store some miniatures and i was like oh they're my salamanders oh my god they look like i've been painted by a blind dog <laughs> I was like, oh my, how did I get a job? <laughs> I was like, yeah, imagine a dog with no arms and blind. That's the kind of paint job. Uh, arms, legs. Uh, dogs don't have arms unless they do. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I was just like, how did I get a job? I thought I was okay. It even had my initials underneath. I thought they were god awful. But then, you know, I think it was pizza or other things as well. It wasn't just like the painting there, but it was the drive, the, um, I guess, the personality. Uh, not as in like I'm a celebrity personality, but like, you know, you're. you're um, you got to get the team, haven't you? Yeah, you way yeah. you approach situations, the way you approach problems, and you, painting like one month into that job, everything just increased so quickly. Like your speed, your skill. You're surrounded by so many talented people. When people say, "Oh, you're a really good painter," or you, you know, you're really inspiring, I'm like, I'm only as good as I can be because of the people around me at that time. If it wasn't for those, I'd still be probably bashing out okay adequate armies i've had a few comments recently with the painting phase where somebody was like oh this is really badly painted i'm like well i'm not aiming at you mate clearly it's it's for people trying yeah. to get into the hobby not not aimed at like you know high-end slayer sword um sort of entries um 
but yeah so um, that was that was really eye-opening from because it's still a, a fun job it wasn't like off-putting I think my hobby did suffer a little bit but not too much um but I did other things that, that, I think that's the thing to, to bear in mind if you are and I don't know if you guys find this if you're painting lots of Age of Sigma 40k I tend to deviate to another game system whether that's yeah. Necromunda or Warcry or outside the box of games workshop and do other things there as well because I used to do a lot of that before workshop uh so so yeah it was the studio was fun I enjoyed that game getting a job was it was very eye-opening and uh you get to meet your heroes and they say you never meet your heroes I met them and I I, I enjoyed my life <laughs> was that uh, weird kind of meeting all these kind of hobby heroes that you've seen like the pages of white dwarf and stuff yeah yeah it was yeah because I mean like I'd recognised pretty much 90% of the studio and they'd come and talk to you and you'd have that kind of like lump in your mouth like I don't know how to talk now I've suddenly forgot <laughs> words um, but you soon like because it becomes a profession and they need to talk to you like Phil Kelly, um, Alessio, Matt Ward all those guys it's like they're talking to you it's like I know you I should be frozen not being able to say words but I've got a job to do I need to listen to what you need I need to make sure I take notes and do the best job I can and then what a year in suddenly you're so comfortable you're having jokes around a like the little kitchen where the tea tea is and you're just hearing some horrific stuff <laughs> <laughs> and it's great which i won't want to hear but you know yeah you, you have conversations as growing up so you're just like well i never thought i'd hear that come from your mouth but yeah it's fine it's cool we're all growing up here let's move on <laughs> amazing so then what five six years ago i think it was yeah. warhammer tv started and then i guess you're a lot more uh famous on internet then weren't you yeah yeah so i initially intended to join duncan the first time round. Uh, i think it was emma durant who was there for about a year mm. um so when that job went up i was like oh, I, that'd be fun because i like teaching people how to paint but i'd only just taken over the army painting team as the army painter manager and it felt like a really naff move to just like leave everyone in the lurch i was like we've only just started with like i think it was like two three months into the department being like a group of 10 painters pete made me supervisor at the time i think it was before it was like officially manager and i'm like i really want to go for that job but i should do what i'm doing here and get this nailed and, and i just made peace with that and then you know as life had it and um, i moved on to do other stuff and then the job came up again and i was like you know what and i apply for it because i've enjoyed being a manager of army painters but there's other things i'd like to do and i miss the uh, the creative side of stuff because when you manage you have to take a step back um, and you see people doing things like that's not quite the way I'd do it but you've got to have that void of discovery and I guess that's how Pete felt when I was an army painter he left me to make those mistakes and learn have those learnings and stuff and he probably like looked at the stuff I do and go oh won't really go down that way for that kind of scheme but that's how you grow and I had to learn to, to stand back and not do that as the army painting manager and like go you know what I don't agree with that but I'll, I'll let you I trust you guys because you've done it as well for a while I'll see what you come up with and most of the time it's like you know what that's actually really quite cool I should just wind my neck in and leave these guys to it they're clearly not <laughs> what they're doing um but yeah I did miss painting armies because I used to do I was quite naughty when I was the manager I used to like jump on projects and help the guys out when getting a bit sort of tight and stuff like yeah. that and people were like you can't do that anymore I'm like I know but I like painting Pete and it's kind of <laughs> needed right now and it's like yeah but that's not what you are I was like I know but look look we've got more men done for you look at that doesn't that look nice <laughs> uh so I did miss the painting side of it and then Dunk was like oh it'd be really cool if you came and joined us like oh, cool and my wife was pregnant she was literally ready to burst um so it was planned that when I went away on paternity 
the two weeks, three weeks or whatever you had after that, I'd come back and start in warmer TV. And that was a crazy, if not insane move, because I'd never had a child up to that point. I thought, who needs sleep? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently oh, do. Yeah, you, you, you honestly do. <laughs> I mean, we end up doing like shifts. As we, uh, like I'd take over like for so long during the day and night, and then she'd wake up and take over and stuff. But yeah, it, it was definitely a learning curve. of New job, new skill set, child. Yeah, that. Uh, hit the ground running mm-hmm. on that one <laughs> but yeah did that for what five six years so it was 2017 uh, september 2017 so yeah wow uh, that's, five uh, years. that's crazy isn't it time flies when you're having fun i guess absolutely it does i can't even believe it's only been five years it feels longer it's what well, see we've been going what five years as well dave yeah, well, we started yeah. Spruce and Brews around the same time as Warhammer TV. Yeah, because you were probably early days, uh, especially when yeah. we first hang out and hobby. It was like, I remember uh, certainly Duncan, if not Wade, going, what is your favourite sprue? What <laughs> yeah. is your favourite brew? Uh, so I definitely remember you guys being quite, certainly, well, big at that time on the chat, let alone your own podcast and stuff. So, so yeah, you've been around just as long as I have doing this crazy thing. <laughs> how, how have you found the whole weirdness of being like a, a, a nerd celebrity? Uh, I never see it as, as a celebrity because I, I know when we, I worked in retail, um, you as the store manager and as like full timers, you are kind of like that figurehead of the community in that local area. So you're kind of used to people not a hero worship, but like if they see in the street, they'll start talking to you and like asking you questions yeah. about hobby and stuff. So many times, like buses from Spondon to Derby, there'll be like a bunch of hobbyists and they'll start asking you questions. Sometimes they'll be like, I'm not going to talk to your hobby, I'm just going to talk to you in general. Um, and you kind of get used to that. So when it, I moved to Warmer TV, it wasn't really about like the celebrity. It was like, well, it, to me, it was more, I want to teach people how to paint in the way in, and learn all the hacks and the lessons that took me longer to learn in a quicker sort of space of time so my my energy is more focused on the teaching side of it and not like the rest of it and obviously you get like people making comments like oh that's really cool oh, i really like you know you're a hero blah, blah, blah. i'm just and it's it's nice to hear but it kind of it's one of those things that um eventually becomes like i guess you just go that's that's really nice to hear thank you um, yeah but don't let it get to your head kind of thing because you are just you know you know better than these uh, than, than the people in the community it's like they're, they're in the same boat I was 20 30 years ago um I shouldn't see myself as a, a more important person just because my face is on the screen every now and again and you know what I don't always get it right as well so I mean I, I make decisions when I'm painting and uh when it where, and this is the really this is why I love the community uh you will get your negatives you will get your trolls that just say things because they want to be mean but I, f- I found there used to be three types of feedback on like Facebook. It's a shame we didn't do YouTube comments, but I know from workshops. Yeah. Like it's a lot of social media media to manage, but you mm-hmm. get like what I'd call the mum compliments, which was just like, yeah, I love it. Best paint guide ever. I'm like, cool. Thanks. <laughs> then you'll be like, rubbish. Don't do this. Do not follow this guy. Like, cool. Wicked. And then you get your ones going, I really like the guy, but I'm confused as to why you use this paint at this point. I'll be like, yeah. I didn't explain that. That's a really useful piece of feedback. Uh, and I used to find those bits of the community when they used to like make observations, even now with the painting phase where we get comments, there'll be like a couple of things going, I'm not quite sure what's what what's the point in using that colour at that point as opposed to at this point. I'm like, that's a really valid point. I should have explained that bit better. Um, I find those uh, 
brave people that comment and put those things uh, really helpful um, because it makes you a better presenter, makes you better at communicating what you're trying to achieve. Because at the end of the day, from my painting point of view, I'm not trying to show you how to paint this particular colour scheme fast. I kind of want to show people how to paint units fast. Yeah. I just, I've just picked some colours and I picked a model. So like with the breaches and the crew, it's it's the process I want you to understand. And the more I do that in videos, like I'm going to do a, a spray and an all over dry brush, the more I want that to like go into people's heads and go, ah, it doesn't really matter what colour scheme I'm doing. As long as I spray a colour that matches the overall colour scheme and then use a light dry brush that's kind of tonally similar and then put some colours over the top of it. So that that's kind of where I want to to get is it's, it's techniques as opposed to how to paint breaches, how to paint crude. Uh, which yeah. might end up putting me out of a job after a while because I've teaching everyone, you know, all the all the <laughs> techniques that they'll ever need to know. I'll be like, oh, <laughs> no one's watching the videos anymore, Pat. What should we do? <sighs> let's do wedding photography. Cool. Let's go do wedding that. photography. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what he does already. So uh, okay, uh, that's how he, he. But he used to do wedding photography. He came to Warmer T um, TV or Warmer Plus to do the bat report videography, um, and whatever reasons for his departure. He just wanted to, he, I think he, he missed making a lot, a lot of decisions himself. And he was yeah. just going to go back off and do wedding photography. And then um, just thought, you know what? I like painting. I like I like doing that kind of style of videography and miniatures. And it's all new to me still. The hobby's new to me, but I like it. So that's when he moved into the painting phase. And that's where that started off. And then obviously he asked me to join at a later point, which I guess we'll touch on soon. Well, that, that segues quite nicely, <laughs> doesn't it? So yeah, do you, do you tell us a bit about the painting phase, how you ended up on there, and I guess what the plans are and what the future yeah. is for you. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that I guess they want juicy gossip as to why I left workshop. And it had been on the cards for about a year. Um, and it wasn't, I mean, there's always, you know, I'll, I'll be quite honest. And I've, I've said to anyone that's asked me any questions, I'll be as honest as I can about anything. Um, you're never always going to get on um, with people you work with, managers and stuff like that. But the reason for me leaving was never that. I mean, there's mm. always like the odd bit here and there. I mean, but I've had 20 years of experience working at Workshop and I've had some great managers and I've had some horrific managers. I would never put Warmer TV into any of those categories. It, it was like, it was good, it was fun. But from a painting point of view, um, because we work in the marketing department, which sells product, which I've spent many years getting behind to the point where when non-creators are making a direction that you don't fully agree with, but you understand why they're doing it. And the first couple of years, it's like, cool, I get it. I get what you're trying to do. We do these battle readies, parade readies. But um, I think I mentioned on uh, the pod, uh, not the podcast, the, the chat I did with Jeff on the painting phases. Sometimes there's a danger that when you when you manage creatives, you, you put them into a box, a, a very formatted box, and you can't leave that box. Mm. Um, but from my point of view, painting is never about like, we must follow these exact steps in this exact sequence every time. It's like, well, it's the color scheme will make a difference. The size of the model makes a difference. Um, and there's loads of things that I've learned over the years going, you know, I'd like to do, because you, if you watch like the the crudes, the breaches, there it does feel, it starts off battle ready and goes to parade ready, but each one's different. Yeah. It's very different in its approach. And and that's the thing. It's like, you you should always approach them it based on the model and the color scheme as opposed to it being a battle ready thing the parade ready and as much as i was behind that to start off with it kind of just got a bit uh i'm not saying unchallenging just I, I lost me, yeah and, and i lost me drive and i was just like and i was going through the numbers and that's when you start to like 
lose a sense of who you are and there was a real yeah. danger that I didn't want to be seen as this like miserable old git who <laughs> just starts becoming like very negative because I've seen that happen so many times in the past where people become a bit disenchanted or people become a bit sort of like lackluster in the job because they're not being as challenged as they used to be yeah and a few people have said to me well, why didn't you go and be the manager or why didn't you go and do this well I don't want to be a manager I've done that and I didn't enjoy it and I miss being creative well why didn't you go and do what you know you did illustration or why didn't you be a sculptor because I can draw okay I cannot draw to the levels that Phil Moss or Paul Dayton or Alex Boyd or Kevin yeah. Chin can uh, that's going to take me 20 years to get to that level if not longer I haven't got that kind of time I'm 40 I'll be dead by the time I get to that point <laughs> um, and it's like oh do sculpting it's like gee I can't just like go and do sculpting I remember my mate Steve Steve Bowman who's in the eye painting team he's now a sculptor but that took him ages to get to that point mm. um so as much as I'd like to do those things, there was no sort of like inlay for me to just go, yeah, we're going to do that job or yeah, we're going to do that job. It was, I want to teach people how to paint because I know that, I understand it, especially armies. Um, I'll never teach someone how to paint to win a golden demon or a slayer sword. That's just not, I mean, I, I could I, I could spend years perfecting that, but I don't want to. I want to get things on the table as quickly as I can. And I, I was definitely losing that um, enthusiasm. And I'd got these, you know, the new guys had come in, they're very fresh faced. I was like, well, I'm not going to be miserable for them. That's not, that's not fair. Um, but I'll do my best in training them because I'd already come to the conclusion that I should probably move on. I always said to myself, if I'm not enjoying my job, I need to move on. Um, mm. But I thought what I'd do is I'd do the best I can, you know, get a bit of a swan song, leave on a high, train them up as best as I can. Um, or at least give them the principles of presenting and stuff and leave, leave it to them how they want to, to do that. Um, they, some people give them stick because no one likes change and it annoys me because they're all good people like Emma's really good at painting um, um Adam is really good at painting the problem with Adam is you have to roll him back sometimes because he's too good it's like yeah. no one can do that mate no one can <laughs> know your audience buddy he's like oh I feel really bad I was like don't feel bad and then uh, Lizzie's an interesting one because she's still quite new to painting but you've seen I've seen the progression of her videos quite quickly mm. um and it's good to see like someone almost start at the same level as you and getting better. So it's like, well, if, if she can do that, I can do that. So yeah. for me, it's like a really useful success story of like someone going, oh, yeah, I've, I started at, at this kind of level, but I'm teaching you like some you know, battle ready stuff. But now I'm at this level because I've been practicing it and getting better at it and learning these skills. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're a great team. They've done a really good job. Um, but I thought there's three of them now. And then at the time, I was just going to like, do some stuff in my own time, learn how to edit, learn how to film and whatever, and then just look to build up some uh, a, a wage and just learn how the internet works. Because uh, I'm a yeah. Uh, and then Pat, <laughs> who in my opinion is a very talented videographer, and that's not me just being biased. He is. Uh, as soon as he said, "Would you like to come and work with me?" I was like, "Yes, please." I mean, well, I mean, the, the little the little teaser trailer they did introducing you is like the most cinematic teaser trailer ever with drone <laughs> shots and all sorts, isn't it? <laughs> that guy had everything. I mean, the best bit was he was like, "We want to do this." We we talked about how we would do it, and the only bit that's missing is the steel drums and pan pipes from Commando <laughs> really at the start, but we just can't get that kind of music. But the, yeah. the, the thing that made me laugh the most is there's like a, a an area of road which is quite open and quite wide, uh, which is good for like drone shots and stuff. And it's got a decent speed limit, so you can do fast, you know, the motorcycle going fast next to the camera. But he had to follow me at one point and I had to follow him. And he put his six grand camera on the front of his car. And he said he's never been more scared in his life. <laughs> oh, my days. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, the, the, the contraption that hold, 
holds the camera to the uh, the windscreen works really well because it's like a quite a professional one but he like i say he does a lot of up to this point wedding photography he's a very good photographer and videographer which is why he's constantly booked to be still working through a whole backlog at the moment whether that's through covid or whatever so we're kind of like managing doing like some painting videos him doing some editing me doing some prep me building stuff up for the uh, like bits of scenery for scenery shots and extra stuff to use should we go down the route of doing battle reports and stuff mm. um but but yeah he's a he's a busy guy he's a very talented man and he's just like come work for me i was like yeah cool i'll do that and I got to be a bit more free because I think as well there's 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 definitely a level of presenting that I, it it became so formulaic that that's almost became the standard. Like Duncan had a standard of presenting. Then I joined and I had to not I didn't have to, but I I kind of followed that because that's what we're asked to do. And then that yeah. became like the style. And then when the new guys turned up, they had to follow that style. So like me and Joe Me and some of the other videographers were having to like make sure or you have to say this, you have to look at the camera at this point, you have to say that. So the workshop has a style of its own, but I can be a bit more free, a little bit more informal. Sometimes I do form fall into formality when I'm talking. I forget that I'm not at workshop and no one's gonna yeah. tell me off for saying the wrong paint name or whatever. Not that anyone ever did, but you know, you don't have to do a full reshoot. Like when I, I think it was the breaches, the second part where we go to the next steps, so I say outdoor guard red. And I instantly correct myself. We kept it in because it was funny. Yeah. Um, so, you know, oh, I, I, I didn't think it was funny. Pat thought it was funny. So he kept it in. He was like, I'm keeping it. And I was like, cool. All right. <laughs> yeah. On that note, it's been it's been kind of interesting for you creatively to use stuff outside of the Citadel Paints range as well. Like I know yes. the recent um, Gallo Dark one, you've got all sorts of cool stuff in there. Yeah. So, I mean, it, that, that, I think that's a big thing for me as well as like I've only ever used Citadel stuff and because I worked for Games Workshop it felt right because you get used to the paints the properties and you know as a painter you can argue that this particular white from this company is better than this particular white from that company it's just facts and we had like a load of the um, influencers like the paint influencers come over and they were talking to Dave Cross who did a lot of the uh, paint range to Harvey products and they were like your gold's the best gold out there your white's naff your black's naff and they were like, oh, OK, well, I need to work on that then, don't I? Um, so it's just true facts that if you buy this black from, I don't know, B, uh, AK Interactive and you buy this silver from Vallejo, they're going to be better than workshop ones. And that, that is just the way of the world. There's just some companies that make certain colours better than others. Well, a range of paints better than others. And I've got to now un, not unlearn, but learn a load of new paints. So I'm going to be getting hold of some of these third gen AK Interactive, uh, some Army Painter stuff. I've used a bit of Army Painter in the past. Um, and yeah, we um, used that Dirty Down Rust and like Pat was like, oh, I got this paint. I've never used it before, but there's a little U- YouTube tutorial if you want to watch it. I was like, watch this. I was like, cool. So it heats the bottle. I just found out using the hairdryer straight onto the thing did it quicker. And then thinning it down with water gave me like different tonal changes. I just played around with like a couple of um, Gallo Dark panels um i just went this is really cool <laughs> i really mm. like it it gives you instant rust normally i'd like use four or five paints to do this whereas mm. now it's just like i mean th- there's a few folks that have like commented going yes well you know if if you get it wet it it uh, reactivates it i'm like cool i mean i don't play in the bath or outside when it's raining so <laughs> the chances of it getting wet i've never got water on any of my scenery over to ever but if i did i think i'll just apply a teeny tiny bit more and then get a hairdryer to it i won't i won't stress about it but it's definitely big news the minute going oh this is wrong it reactivates uh, it's not permanent i'm like well it looks permanent it's fine i'm okay with it yeah um so yeah i mean there's there's lots of things i've got to learn but i'm just having fun 
experimenting and trying new stuff. So exciting. Yeah. Look forward to seeing it. It's uh it's it's gonna be cool to see you play with other rangers and just what crazy stuff you can do for you know knocking out an army dead quick. Yeah, yeah, mad things, mad. I mean, I know there's the the big terminology at the moment that's going around. Some people hate it. It's like more like the slap chop. Um, I know. Um, I wouldn't say super close friends, but um, I'm buddies with um, uh, Rob Symes, who did a fun video about it. And he he said it's not his his technique that he's made up, but it's it's a technique army painters been using for years. And he and he knows that yeah. it's a fun thing to to help people um, get armies painted quicker. Because um, he goes to a lot of tournaments and sometimes you probably see some chod out there, but at the same time it's just like he understands why people can't. And I've said as my mantra for um, uh, the painting phase, I understand most people have an hour in the evening because they're at school, college, uni, parents, work. You know, it's it's trying to like to help people get things done quicker. Hence the box set for uh, Into Dark. It's like I can achievably paint this over a weekend. And I can teach you how to paint that over a weekend. Yes, it's not you're not going to win a competition with it. That's I'm 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 made my piece with that. I don't care. But you, eight, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be kind and say 70% of our customers don't do heavy metal level painting. Uh, I say our customers or hobbyists probably don't do that that standard of painting. Um, and I'm focused on them. I, I, if you do paint to that level, then my videos have no use to you. So don't watch them and don't don't comment if you don't like it it's it's not for you and if you are interested in getting army painted for a tournament and you are a high-end painter there might be some stuff you might find useful don't know uh, i don't want to assume your knowledge of painting and your army painting level but uh, the slap chop thing that um rob put out was was a nice sort of way of getting people to do stuff a bit quicker um but it is a, a technique that's been around for years which is why people are moaning at him about it and, oh, that's, yeah. that's the technique that's been around for ages you can't just pass it off as your own he's like i'm not <laughs> just want to get people painting i'm just trying to do a thing um but yeah i mean it's there's you're gonna get that aren't you <laughs> when you're a yeah. face when you're a face and you say something you become like the law and then some people hate it some people love it yeah i mean i guess i guess it was as content creators as well it's just you get used to the moaning on the internet oh, yeah. don't you? people are always going to moan about something i mean i've got a next door neighbor who literally looks for any reason to moan about everything on the street and if I can cope with him, I think I can cope with the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, would you believe it? But there's other like miniatures games and stuff outside of GW. Who'd have thought it? Uh, in your uh, in your personal hobby, then, is there anything kind of outside GW that you're kind of into or you enjoy painting? There's a lot. There's a lot, Matt. Um, I only recently got into Star Wars Legion, and that was because my mate Steve was lonely and needed someone to play against. Um, <laughs> so I started off getting some Empire, and I couldn't be bothered to paint Stormtroopers white, so I went down the route of the Shadow course. I did, like, Shadow Troopers, Shadow Scouts or Commandos, Shadow Guards, and the Imperial Guards instead of being red, they, they, they did in black. And I went, I really like these models, so I started buying more. I've even got some, like, 3D-printed ones, because I've got, like, some of the Death Star Gunners that are 3D-printed from school. Nice. So they do, like, they do, like, a whole remnant range, which looks mega. So I've ordered some of those. Um, but then I started going into, like, the clone side of things. I was like, I literally went, I'll just paint some Stormtroopers. It'll be fine. And then it's, like, just grown from there, because I caught, some of the early stuff's a bit soft, but the, the later pl hard plastics are incredible. Um, but I've been doing Napoleonics for years. Um, I've done World War II stuff. I'd like to get back into that. I've got some stuff from Warlord Games recently. Um, and then I, I went to uh, Partisan uh, April, May time. 
and there was a box set called He-Man Battlegrounds. I was like, oh, getting that. <laughs> <laughs> it's got He-Man in it and Skeletor, and it kind of looks like it plays like Underworlds. Um, yeah. Like booster packs and stuff. So I need, I'd like to do a video of that, which is why I've not touched it yet, because I was saying to Pat, it'd be fun just to do a video, whether you paint one side with a selection of colours, another side with a selection of colours, and just quickly knock out the scenery again trying to minimize again what i've been doing to start minimize the paint count and try and oh, mix it you, across the two you could go to town with you know cartoony bold primary colors for that as well That'd exactly ace, it? yeah oh yeah and make sure that i do he-man skin the right shade of tea because uh, <laughs> uh, that's the rule but I, i've got like there's a company called crooked dice i don't know if you're aware of it it's been around for some time now and they just do mm. lots of like pulp and TV based characters. So initially it started off with like Doctor Who stuff, then it went down Captain Scarlet, and then, then they did more stuff for Doctor Who, but so fun. The minute miniatures are that you can like use them for other things. And then I started doing this like James Bond game where I'd like henchmen in orange jumpsuits versus spies. Um, so I just made up a, a rule system. That was during like the design studio days, so 2008 to like 2012 kind of time. Um, where I just made these set of rules and play games with folks, but they just do a great range of models and they've gone into like fantasy and like Book Rogers, not Book Rogers, um, Flash Gordon. There's like a bunch of Flash Gordon themed stuff. There's Flash Gordon from the movies, so like the Royal Guard with those weird gas mask things. Yeah. And <laughs> they've done like stuff more from the comics. Um, but I used to be a big fan of the old TV series called V. It's from like the 80s, they, they revamped it in the early 2000s. Uh, and they're basically like space Nazis, like com- communist Nazis. They wear like red suits. They have like normal human faces. But then when you peel the face off, it's like a lizard underneath it. Uh, <laughs> and they're called, the, the, I think they're called the Visitors, hence the name of the TV show. It's called V. So basically these baddies turn up from space, take over the Earth, and there's a bunch of resistance fighting against them. And Crooked Dice made a bunch of miniatures on them. And I was like, they're cool. I don't know why. I just liked it as a kid when I used to watch it a lot. Because um, in Germany, there wasn't that many English speaking channels. Um my dad was in the forces and we used to watch like the a-team night rider and the literally Amazing. religiously every night um <laughs> and then the he-man in the mornings so i'm literally painting the things from my childhood that's what i've come to the conclusion <laughs> on that's not a bad thing that's definitely not a bad thing i've been speaking at steam chat on my desk at the minute i've got i don't know if you've seen this peachy uh blue giant studios recently did a model of the warlock of firetop mountain from the Ooh. old fighting fantasy box yeah and uh picked one up it's signed by uh Ian Livingstone and Steve Jackson. So uh, carefully put this box down so I don't damage it. But it's like a big 75 millimeter model of the uh, the, the Warlock of Firetop Mountain. So yeah. really looking forward to painting him up. That's something I'd like to get into more is large scale stuff and have a go at painting that because it's a different principle. But I remember my brother had a board game of Warlock yeah. of Firetop Mountain. So I don't know if he's still got that. Cause I if he's still got that, it's silly money on eBay now. I bet. I bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a company, I think it's called Mindwork Games, that does a lot of stuff based off Frank Frazetta's art. Um, Frank Frazetta has always been like an influence from quite an early time. Um, if you've never seen him or aware of him, it's not the end of the world. He did a lot of Conan-based stuff in the 70s, um, but um, his art is just incredible. And this company just does large-scale models of some of his art. I'm just like, cool, who doesn't want to paint a Conan? I know That's I want to paint a Kona. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. The, yeah. It, some of it's quite scantily clad, so it's not all for, you know, probably 16 plus kind of age groups will probably want to paint some of the stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff I want to do, so much stuff I want to try. Um, I I definitely want to go down the route of military modelling as well. Yeah. Because that's something I've always fancied doing. Um, just never got round to it. Cause kind of used to do it when I was a kid, and we used enamel paints, but wasn't really... 
an expert painter and washes was i mean yeah i can't even i mean I was, i've got a tank up here it's like a chieftain tank and i've literally hand painted it with some humbral green paint and you can see all the street marks plus all the extra bristles like clogged into it it's like cool yeah i've come i've come a bit you know <laughs> not, not a long way but a little bit it's, it's, it's come on at least the track still moves that's the start that's um, cool <laughs> well yeah the, the gentleman's war box has recently come out from warlord games mm. that looks interesting yeah i want to do a, a series of videos on that uh, a bit like the into dark paint the whole set across mm. the weekend um including the vehicles and have a go at miniature model with those but yeah it's, it's nice to see like you've got some plastic vehicles you've got your plastic uh, Africa Core, you've got your plastic um, Eighth Army. But what yeah, I didn't realise is when you open them up, you can give them uh, Sikh heads, you can give them Australian sort yeah. of Anzac heads. Uh, I think there's another set where you can get like the long range Desert Patrol. Um, so it's almost the same bodies, they've just done different headsets. And I think you could do Chindits as well for like the um, conflict in Burma as well. So there's, there's loads, there's loads you can do with it. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, definitely up for doing some World War II on the show. Some, napoleonics just everything man I, I i i guess we've got to sort of test the war to see because workshop is quite a big draw for a lot of people um, yeah yeah but also do other things because i don't always want to paint workshops if i see it so fresh enough. um and yeah i'm all into that right now amazing so before before we let you go mm. what are some of your kind of favorite memories from all your time in the hobby either inside or outside of gwo Ooh, I think outside the hobby, uh, there's a couple. The first one is playing Necromunda with my family uh, back in like the 90s. Uh, that was fun. So like my brother having um, Goliath, my dad having Delax, me having Escher, and then just playing campaigns and losing horribly and spending most of the time flicking through a rule book to try and find that rule that you don't understand. Um, and just, yeah, my mum coming in, like, going, does anyone, does anyone want a cup of tea? He's like, yes, please. Yeah, yeah, we're off. <laughs> Dad, Dad's trying to find a rule. We can't we can't work out what to do. She's like, I don't know what you just said, but here's a cup of tea. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that that was fun. And that will always stick with me for a long time. And then I think Workshop Derby, doing a lot of gaming nights. Um, not with within the store with, like, the customers, but, like, like me, Duncan, um, Nigel, Alex, a guy called Andy, you know, doing our own little campaigns in the evenings of, like Lord of the Rings or 40k or like Warhammer and stuff like that, converting our armies to match a narrative that we've done. And I also think the design studio, because I, if I was to pick what well, someone said, one, you only like one, it'll be when I started the design studio, because it was like, oh my God, I've always wanted to do this. These are people I've always been like really sort of like, well, hero worshipped uh, for a better word. I'm now working with them. They're treating me as an equal. This is mad. I mean, I don't even see myself as an equal, but then just like being involved in like their hobby and doing games with them and Dave Andrews going, oh, do you want to come around my house and play like a zombie game or like a Vietnam game? I'm like, uh, the, the, there's no other answer here, David. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I even say no to that? So there was definitely an era of like working with Mark Jones and Dave Andrews and a couple of other guys. It was just, yeah, it was, it was fab. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, thank you very much for your time, Peachy. Uh, if you're not already, subscribe to the painting phase. You've got all sorts of cool stuff on the way, haven't you? Oh, yeah, lots. I mean, Pat is editing like a machine and I'm painting faster than he can edit. So uh, <laughs> he's got he's got a backlog. <laughs> <laughs>
but yeah 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 it's fun yeah we'll be doing all sorts of stuff not just workshop there's some star wars legion stuff on the way um and age of sigma as well we're doing, doing that this week. so yeah some age of sigma i want to do a whole i want to do every Warcry warband in three hours Every like, every Warcry Yeah, not in one go. A warband in three hours, a warband in three hours. God, that that's the next challenge, maybe. <laughs> there you go. That's the yeah. ultimate challenge. Yeah, absolutely. That's a killer. That would that'll regret that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Right, well, we'll catch up with you at the end of the show. But next we're gonna talk about our top three 40k supplements. So we have reached that point on the podcast where we discuss this week's top three. And in honour, you could say, of Arcs of Omen, uh, which was announced during the last Warhammer preview, we're going to be talking about our top three Warhammer 40k supplements. That is 40k, uh, Andy, not any of the other ones. So uh, no quest for the ring bearer. Um, that was discussed before we started recording. Um, so uh, let's start off with, I think it's been a while since we started with Matt doing his top ooh, three. Ooh. So we'll go to Matt first. When you mention Arcs of Omen, I assume Abaddon isn't collecting like two of every animal to take to terror or something. Yeah. But yeah, so I've got my, mine, mine are all fairly old and makes me feel very old and depressed writing this down. But there's been some great kind of supplements over the years. So my number three choice is from 1994 and it is dark millennium this was the first expansion to the second edition of warhammer 40,000, and it was a big old box that contained an awful lot of card back in that era um, we had warhammer fantasy with the magic expansion which had a lo- the whole magic system was contained within that box there was loads of cards and magic items and cool stuff like that and dark millennium was essentially that but for 40k it had all your psychic powers in there. It had all sorts of cool effects and tokens and templates and stuff. But it also had the vehicle rules in there as well. You had vehicle data packs for a load of different things in there. And you also got a deck of custom vehicle cards. You get a blank card and you could create your own vehicles using this box. Um, really, really cool. You can, you can probably still find them kicking around on, on eBay at the minute, but I suspect they probably go for a pretty penny at the minute. But I I had so much fun, even though it didn't have any miniatures in it, just flicking through those those kind of data fax cards and being able to give psychic powers to my Tyranids. It was it was so cool. Um, obviously, since then, for both systems, it's kind of like folded more in, into a dice roll mechanic. But I've got to admit. I much preferred the card-based mechanic for the magic and psychic phase. I don't know about you guys. In fact, you guys probably didn't even play that far back then, did you? No. <laughs> so essentially, so yeah, yeah. So essentially, you'd have your 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 cards, your spells or or psychic powers in the case of Dark Millennium that have their you know like cast cost on them and effects just like now. But rather than rolling dice, you would draw from a deck of cards like Magic the Gathering style. And you, that would be your resource to spend over the course of the game. So some of the cards would be like maybe, a, a, you know, three casting points. Some would just be one. You might have a dispel card in there that you can, you can play to counter another person's spell. You could have a, a, a card that would automatically cast a spell. And I thought that was really cool because you had a mechanic then to, to kind of like a resource to manage over the game. And I just thought that was really, really fun. So, yeah, both Dark Millennium and the, the Magic expansion for 
for uh, Warhammer Fantasy were, were really cool in that regard. And it was a big box. You can't go wrong with a big box, can you? And number two, I have got Cities of Death, released back in 2006. So this was a supplement for playing games uh, in cities in 40k. So we're talking tight corridors, very dense scenery. The core rules didn't really work for it. Um because it's such a different environment. So it, it had all the rules for having fights in cities and how unit coherency works through them and all the different kind of interactions and stratagems and stuff that had happened. The best thing about this supplement, though, is alongside it, uh, a load of scenery came out and it was the first big scale plastic city scenery for 40k. And I've still got some of it and it still stands up now. It isn't as good as the new stuff, obviously, but it still looks really, really good on the table. And for me, and people who listen to the show know I love scenery and painted scenery on the table is the difference between a, a, a good game and a great game for me. It just kind of, I, I think it's all about the visuals for me. So I just love having a whole painted battlefield and city fight introduce, uh, introduce sorry, cities are, death city fight was even older i think that was like early 2000s um kind of introduced that concept of having here's a big box full of scenery go wild and build it which obviously we're still getting now in stuff like war cry and kill team aren't we so i guess it was a bit of a precursor of that but in number one it had to be the biggest expansion for warhammer 40,000 back in 2007 and that was apocalypse so for the first time we had the plastic Bane Blade Super Heavy Tank released. We had a massive, big rule book. The book was physically huge. And they had, a, I remember going to Games Day when they, they launched it, and they had a load of kind of like special edition exclusive stuff available, such as a big backpack designed to hold your massive army that you were taking to Apocalypse. They had some massive dice. Um, and they also brought out some big boxes. There, I think there was a... Um, an Astra Militarum one that contained 10 Lehman Rust tanks. So you could put together these big apocalypse formations. And we've had some great games of apocalypse over the, the years, haven't we? And you know what? I've, um, I have I really fancy us doing apocalypse in the next, I don't know, six months or something. I've got this grand plan of having an Inquisitor with a big force of Cadians backed up with a knight, backed up with a shadow sword. Um, yeah, that, that'd be epic. That like sounds what? like a hobby resolution for next year, Dave. It does sound like a hobby resolution, doesn't it? So, obviously, the, the, the current version of Apocalypse is very different. It's, it's kind of a different game, really, Apocalypse now, the way activations and stuff work. But back then, Apocalypse, it was good. I think it took us, on average, about two days to play a game of Apocalypse. But it was so good. We get we get Jay's kind of boards out, stretched all the way down the kitchen, and there'd be a few of us over. And I don't know if a game ever actually ended, but we had loads of fun rolling dice and blowing stuff up. So yeah, that's my number one choice: Warhammer Forty Thousand Apocalypse. Great choices. Um, I'm going to go next actually, and mainly because um, I was very close to having Cities of Death um, on mine. I somehow managed to forget Apocalypse. So two awesome choices there that i should have really gone for um however um i can i can move mine around so in third place for me is the most recent one that appears in my top three uh, and this was from 2020 uh september 2020 um we are big fans of narrative uh on this podcast 
uh, rather than really competitive match play, or at least we are now anyway. Um, and one of the reasons for that is sort of the moving towards this is kind of like one of the ways to play. Um, and when the new edition of 40k came out, we were given Crusade as um, this extra arc in 40k that you could go down and play. And in September 2020 was when we had our first one, uh, Beyond the Veil, uh, which concentrated on the prior Nexus and everything that was going on with the Necrons. Um, and this opened the door to loads of new battle plans, new stuff for your, your, your um, narrative games. I know for me now, I've got two or three of these books, and I'm currently writing a narrative campaign for Spruce and Bruce. Um, and I have been dipping in and out of these books because you can either play them as a, a campaign in one book, or you can do what I've done and kind of take bits and pieces from them and um, bits that have inspired me, you know, battle plans that I've, you know, taken and edited slightly. Um, it really opened a new way to play and one that we've, we've all, I think all of us, um, can say we've all really enjoyed playing. My second choice takes us um, back in time to edit this bit. <laughs> back to March 2016, because in March 2016 we had the first, I believe this was the first time we had this, um, the Farsight Enclaves as a Tau Empire supplement. Um, so I think this was the first time I'd had. A codex supplement for starters like for a, a faction almost of its own right um but at the time i was really into the town really into farsight and it was great to have this book that was dedicated to his part of the army um his own unique units the law was great it was it was a brilliant read i don't think i ever got to play many games with it um but certainly enjoyed reading it it was uh, it was an absolutely brilliant book um and i would like to see we know now that the arcs of omen for example won't be featuring the um different expanded army rules for example one of the warzone books had like rules extended rules for order of the martyred lady which is my favorite sister's force I'd much rather that be in their own book. You know, it might not be a very big book, but I'd much rather be a codex supplement. So I hope they go back to that um, instead of folding into different books. Um, so we'll see. We know they're not going to be in Arcs of Oban, so maybe they'll go back to codex supplements. But anyway, that is my second choice, uh, Farsight Enclaves, leaving me with my top choice. Um, and I think this is a bit of a no-brainer. Um, the actual series itself narratively wise was it, it was a tiny bit of a disappointment for me but what this book did for the wider 40k um really like reinvigorated me into 40k as a game system uh and that is gathering storm rise of the primarch so we see the return of gulliman um which is really cool i think um, they could have done more with the narrative side of it um, but it was still an incredible thing that was happening in the universe. Uh, the actual gaming content in there was very good, uh, and the models, obviously, that were released alongside it. it Gulliman is such an epic model. Like I keep getting tempted to do Ultramarines at some point just so I can repaint a Gulliman, because I have got him, and he is painted, but my paintings come on since then, and I'm kind of looking for that reason to 
buy him again and repaint him. Um, but I can't see me doing an Ultramarines army at any point in the near future. But um, yeah, I, I would go for that as my my top choice. Uh, Andy, what, what about you? Um, so bizarrely enough, um, two of my choices are ones that you guys have just mentioned. So great minds obviously do think alike, you know. Um, my third choice is Cities of Death. Um, I was a big fan of sort of like hordes of orcs and cities. And, you know, in the 41st millennium, uh, when I got into the hobby, the 41st millennium was all buildings and rubble and ruins and all this sort of stuff. And when they brought out a supplement for it to allow you to fight in these cities and these sort of tight confines and streets and stuff like that it, it was a really cool concept and i remember they did a battle report in the white dwarf and i think it's between orcs and um, imperial guard and they didn't have any vehicles that weren't sort of walkers so the orcs had like killer cans and a death dread and stuff like that and the imperial guard had some um sentinels and stuff like that but that was it for for vehicles and it was effectively just loads of infantry and they had the old uh, metal commandos that would sneak up and charge into you know heavy weapon teams and stuff like that and there was um stratagems or sort of like stratagems at the time where you could have like um booby traps and you could booby trap terrain pieces and then you could have um sewer entrances where you could pop up uh, on you know random spots on the board you know where you could have guys in reserve and they would come onto the table and pop up randomly from the sewers you know it's really cool um and i remember they did a a battle report and it was like a slanesh chaos space green army and like the chaos lord was converted to be like half snake had like mm. four arms and you know this sort of stuff um and I think they played against Necrons, if I remember right. And it was just, again, it was like such a cool battle report in, in the White Dwarf to, to see. And yeah, that, that was definitely my third choice because even today I look at ruins and I, I, I can't help but think of, of cities of death. Um, so that's my third choice. My second choice was another one which I really liked from a narrative campaign sort of perspective and also from a perspective of it changed the force org chart at the time and that was planet strike oh yeah oh yeah so planet strike had um an attacker and a defender and the defender could take more troop choices and more heavy supports whereas the attacker could take more fast attacking elites to represent you know that the attacker if a you know, launch an attack onto a new planet, they're not going to immediately have artillery tanks on the battlefield or vindicators or, you know, these sort of things, but they are going to have assault marines and terminators and land speeders and this sort of stuff. The stuff that can get behind enemy lines and disrupt communications and take out gun batteries to allow, you know, big transport ships to land and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, just from a, from a narrative point of view, I was like, that would be so cool if you had that as like the first scenario in a campaign or or even halfway through a campaign, you know, you maybe you've weakened the enemy forces. So they've had to retreat back to the planet. Um, I think in the Blood Angels Omnibus Part One, 
the Blood Angels forced the word bearers to retreat back to this recently conquered planet. And then the Blood Angels go and assault this planet to to obviously drive off the word bearers and, and, and defeat them and stuff. And I always looked at like Planet Strike and be like, oh, that would that would be a super cool sort of narrative perspective to take on it. And it was, you know, it's super cool just to to think about in 40k. And then my first choice is one that Dave just mentioned, and that is the Rise of the Primark book. Now, I loved the Gathering Storm books. I thought they were all good. They all did something that, for the most part, we hadn't really seen since the End Times books, and that was they pushed the narrative further forwards in a very impactful way. Because, you know, we we got to see, you know, Cadia get destroyed in the first book. We got to see the Eldar and what was happening with them and demons infesting common raw and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And that, that was really cool. But for me, seeing Gilliman come back and you get that sort of that Horace heresy, you know, Gilliman's been wounded and put into stasis and whatever, Jin, or, you know, shortly after the heresy to, to coming back and, you know, leading the Imperium and bringing it back from the brink of, of total annihilation. And then I think there's a bit towards the end of it where they they use a webway portal or something along those lines that's in the Blackstone Fortress controlled by the Red Corsairs. And they end up on Luna. They end up on the moon. And Magnus the Red sort of follows them. And there's this big fight in this massive crater. And it's only because Magnus is there and there's all this big battle going on that the Imperial Fists get drawn into um you know they get alerted basically but like well someone's fighting on the moon that's pretty close to terror so let's go have a look and you know just seeing that narrative book that was one of those narrative books that i would love to go back and you know write scenarios for and build mm. and paint models just to play in those sort of scenarios so yeah my, my top choice is uh rise of a primark so that just leaves one person to ask for their top three that is you peachy what have you gone for well, first of all, I've gone for the Eye of Terror campaign book because that hit me when I kind of well, the early days of starting in the store um, and having a bit more sort of stuff to do with Cadia, Usakari, Creed. You get to see all that kind of stuff. But the big thing for me was the Lost and the Damned baddies with like tentacles and like weird mutated mm. tanks. Yeah. And also different colour schemes. And I think it was the first time well, Kazakin we got, wasn't it? The first time we got them. Yeah. Mind me, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a weird sort of like segue into like you know the new stuff i suppose but um but yeah and you know that's when you heard about the 13th company of space wolves um but i just like the campaign itself and the artwork of uh abad and christian yeah the the, uh, the 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 world of cadia in his hand that's so cool so such eight is evil bad guy kind of art <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it really was uh so that was me first um third war of armageddon i i kind of you know it was a worldwide campaign i never really entered it but i read a lot about it in white dwarf um and that was like kind of the time when i got into doing ashamela time or imperial yard and I, I really liked the look of the steel legion they just looked mega i know that was like a metal box set and there was like different sort of special weapons and heavy weapons you can buy separately in sergeants um but yeah I'd, I'd remember going to the store and getting all those guys um and it wasn't until recently that uh wade price uh alluded to the uh, gaius point storyline you know the 
the unfinished business that never really started, which was his, mm. Argent, his flesh terrors versus my Argent Shrouds. That kind of like reinvigorated the third war of Armageddon quite recently on live. Um, because I'd obviously done like my audience rather than doing his flesh terrors. Yeah. But yeah, I think definitely when I was reading it in White Dwarf, it just sounded so much fun. And I guess as well, from a, a world point of view, it had all the archetypes of terrain, war zones, because you had jungles, ice, deserts, um, hive cities, mountains, you know, and uh, most factions somewhere fit into it. Uh, so yeah, I... I from a sins, I never, I was never part of that, but I, I, I watched it from afar. I watched it whilst it was sleeping, kind of thing. <laughs> you lovingly <laughs> watched it. <yeah. laughs> and the other um, one for me, I, so when we did the Gathering Storm, when we basically blew up Cadia, um, I know that hurts some people, but you had like the Gathering Storm, the first one, which was Cadia, is it Cadia Falls? Cadia Falls, yeah. Yeah, Cadia Falls. Um, that made me sad, but there's some cool bits in it. But I think my favourite one was the second one, which was the Factor of Biltan. And the reason for that was it kind of went a bit more into like the Eldari sort of stuff where you'd got like, for me, I'm a big fan of Drakari. And there's a whole section where your brain is fighting in the fighting pits of Kamara. Um, and loads of weird things are happening. That influenced me to do a, um, I think it was that. Well, I could be getting my wires crossed, but there was definitely lots of like blood brides. She had the blood brides with her, and I did like a little display that went into Warmerwood, which is like Yvrain with the blood brides, and then mm-hmm. the Vizarp turns up and like the heads are loads of stuff. I think it was the Morag Morahite Heg witch that she's fighting, like the Death Witch. I think she kills her, and that's when she gets reborn by Iniad. Um, but there's just loads of cool stuff, loads of like story hooks uh, from Yvrain's point of view, like the Eldari point of view, even like a bit more about the webway as well what that looks like and like Kamara and you're going through all, like, all the, the areas of that so I'm, I'm a big fan of narrative and a big fan of like expanding the universe a bit more so having all like a, a whole host of warriors working their way through the webway to try and get to um, uh, Gulliman uh, was was cool um, and then obviously you had the rise of Gulliman didn't you which was the third book mm. and he's like he wakes up and goes what the hell's happening there's like a load of black armored guys shooting up some blue armored guys what do, what Okay, let's, let's crack on, shall we? Um, <laughs> so that was that was good. I mean, um, well well written. Uh, again, didn't really play much of the campaign side of stuff. It was more just like building collections, the hobby, and just getting inspired mm. by stories. Because I think that's the thing for me. I, I I don't really go down those routes of I'm going to build this army for this and for that, and then play the campaign. I'm like, read the book and go, oh, that's cool. I'm going to build that. I'll probably get trash, but it looks cool. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, that would be. My three, if you count them as supplements, stroke, uh, campaign packs, I think they are. Excellent. I'm sure they count. Yeah. Uh, absolutely they count. Um, so there are choices. That just leaves one final segment. It's time to find out what the community have chosen. So we'll be right back. And so we move on to the final segment of this week's episode. It's time to reveal the community top three choices. I'm going to start over on Facebook with Michael Geller. Um, he's actually just gone for the two. He's gone for Vigilus. I assume he means that the series and Cities of Death, uh, which uh, we've just discussed in our top three. Brian Dennis, his third choice. And, and what this is testing you both here. So I'm not sure which one he's referring to. But his third choice is a campaign book towards the end of 7th. Sorry, can't remember the name correctly, but I believe it was called The Burning Crusade or something. It was chaos-based. 
Can you think of what that one could have been called? Edition. Not off the top of my head, sorry. No. We'll do some research into that. Um, his second choice was the Core Demon Kin, if that counts. Absolutely. And his top choice was Spearhead Assault. I think it's called... Um, I think it's called From a White Dwarf. Basically, Armoured Warfare. Uh, what do we have over on Twitter, Matt? So, over on Twitter, Claude Savagely says... A joint number two choice for the Eye of Terror and Armageddon campaign box, with number one being the classic Angels of Death Codex, which, if rumours are to be believed, we might be seeing again at some point in the future. Uh, Average Paints says uh, Traitor Legions didn't get much use before Eighth dropped, but it laid the foundation for the Chaos Space Marine books. Codex supplement Farclave Enclaves. I would love a new version of this or an Army of Renown and Kojek. And Codex Supplement Catechins from 3rd edition. Mark Dewhurst says Cities of Death from 4th edition, Dark Millennium from 2nd edition, and Codex Care Space Marines 3.5, the greatest codex ever written. It was a good codex. Uh, Honourable mention to Codex Eye of Terror. Uh, Coffee Drinking Corn Berserker says number one is easy. The Eye of Terror for the background of it being my first campaign. Holds a special place in my heart. The 13th Company and ignited my love of chaos. Two, Armageddon, great background and first Black Templars rules. And three, Medusa 5, bit cheesy, but first campaign I ever ran. And finally, Darren Winter says City Fight for earlier editions, the Eye of Terror campaign book, and the book of missions that GW released for 7th edition. Some good choices there. Excellent. Yeah, some really good choices. So that leads me to ask, Matt, what is next week's top three? Well, with all the talk of the old world, I had to kind of go back to the uh, the past for this one. I want to know your top three Warhammer fantasy models. Ooh, you can get your choices in early via our social media, or alternatively, we will be popping a post up on the Sunday or Monday before we record the next episode, so that you can pop your comments uh, over on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and then read about next week. Unfortunately, we have reached the end of this week's episode. But Peachy, we cannot let you leave without asking your good self, what is your favourite sprue and what is your favourite brew? I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> how could how could we not leave without saying that? So <laughs> it will be no surprise to anyone. I'm going to go with brew first, if you don't mind. That's uh, fine. Tea. And specifically, I know it offends some people, but Yorkshire tea. I, I don't have to say Yorkshire now. I can actually say Yorkshire. <laughs> I can actually go full on branded now. I'm allowed to do that. So, yeah, Yorkshire tea. Uh, drink it whenever I can. Take it on a holiday if I can as well. Because Oh, wow. That is, that is dedication. <laughs> I have wow. an emergency bag in my bag. Uh, so if I go to someone else's house, like if I'm filming and I don't have any tea, I'm like, it's all right. I've got you covered. Why do I uh, vision of you with a suitcase full of Yorkshire tea? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you watch the long trailer, the teaser trailer, I put a whole bag inside my rucksack. And that's, yeah. that's not a lie. That's not a lie. That's oh true. My God. <laughs> so when it comes to sprue, I mean, I've had all sorts of fun sprues over the years. But the, initially I was like, I was tossing and turning like ideas of like which one it would be. And for a long time, it was the Shattered Storm Vault, but that's not really available anymore because it reminded me a lot of the old Arcane Ruins set we used mm. to have. And it was just really good for scenery and doing all sorts of things. But then I, then it, it just hit me. I was like, you know what? Kill Team, Sisters of the Battle Novitiates, because you've got so many options with them. You could do like Necromunda-based Cordor stuff with them. You can do, obviously, your Novitiate, Novitiate um, 
kill team. You can use them in 40k because there's a data sheet and you can give it because there's enough stuff in there to build them all with auto guns or with auto pistol and sword or all as specialists. But then if you file a few bits off, you could turn them into Sisters of Sigma for Age of Sigma. I mean, what kind of kit can do that? And yeah. that's why they're my favourite spree right now. And will be for a while, I think. Excellent choice. Yeah, I built them myself. It's a really, really nice kit. Um, excellent choice. Um, still can't get over those joke T comments. I think <laughs> that's that's gonna be instilled in my brain forever. Um, however, for 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 this episode, that does unfortunately bring us to a close. Thanks again uh, to Peachy for joining us. Thank you. Um, we will pop a link um to everything we've discussed this week uh, in the podcast notes. You can check that out at a click. Uh, and yeah, it just leaves us to say. Have a great week of hobby, and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruesandbrews.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruesandbrews or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruesandbrews.